Hi, my name is Teresa Monteiro. I'm Director of uh, Solution Marketing at Infinera. As the internet um, traffic grows, so grows the demand on the optical networks. I'm Catherine Speglia, and this is Well Technically, the tech podcast where women do the explaining. Hi, Teresa. Thanks so much for being here. Thank you for having me. We'll be talking about optical fiber networks, namely why they're critical and what it means for the telecom industry for them to become more open and and disaggregated. But first, Teresa, what is an example of a time in which being a woman has empowered you? Um, Well, I think each of us, um, women in tech, has a, a very unique journey and a unique point of view. So I'm I'm speaking for myself in my case, looking back, I I think I never worried too much um, about being a sort of an outsider, a bit of an outsider. I was um, a geek in high school. Then I moved to a foreign country and I couldn't speak the language. Um, I was in countless classes and then in meetings where I was the only woman or or, and I'm still often the only one to speak up. Um, And in some way, I think this difference empowers me, actually. I feel empowered every day by being so proud to wear that woman in tech badge, you know, and contributing um, to a diverse workplace, bringing my own perspective, which, of course, I mean, I'm, my background is um, as an, a physicist and as an engineer. I bring that perspective, but um, in my entirety, I'm also a woman, a wife, a mother, all that is part of me, and 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 I feel that I'm somehow advocating for women just by being there, walking that road, um, being myself. I appreciate you bringing up other ways in which you've been a, a quote unquote outsider, you know, moving to a foreign country and not speaking the language, because this podcast only focuses on being a, a woman who's outnumbered in the tech field. But of course, there are a lot of different ways in which someone is is standing out or feels like the outsider or out of place. And I think it's important to kind of talk about being a woman in tech in conjunction with being someone who doesn't speak English fluently, being a person of color, all of these things um, need to be more represented in, in technology. So I appreciate you kind of bringing those two things together. So Not everyone is aware of how important optical networks are, especially with all the hype around wireless networks that tends to get all of the the headlines. Uh, So can you start by characterizing the current state of optical networks, particularly as internet traffic has been growing exponentially? How has this impacted the optical network side of things? Um, Well, first of all, you're absolutely right. Optical networks are are often overlooked in all the discussions around 5G, for example. But I mean, we need to be aware that even when we connect to the network using mobile devices, um, the mobile data uh, will be routed to a site nearby where it is aggregated and then converted into optical signals. And these are carried then over an optical fiber um, and, and optical fiber networks are really the norm for transmitting large volumes of data with low latency in an efficient manner, in a reliable manner over long distances. So across cities, states, continents, etc. 
submarine networks across the ocean. Um, I think it was um, Kyle Maladi, the CTO at Verizon, who actually described their 5G um, as a massive fiber network with antennas hanging off it. And I, I find this really right. I mean, and, and even more so as the fiber moves closer to the edge. So, of course, as the internet um, traffic grows, um, so grows the demand on the optical networks. Um, and there's also enterprises moving their workload to the cloud. So there's thousands of data centers around the world which need to be connected to the end users, but also among themselves and um, for, for um, sync, um, uh, replicating data, distributing content into different regions. Data center interconnect is also all about optical fibers due to this large volumes uh, of data that need to be transferred. And optical networks have evolved to cope with this demand. So the ba basic technology is DWDM, dense wavelength division multiplexing. And this has been around for a couple of decades already. But um, now today it allows for far more um, optical signals, different frequencies. Um, up to 80 or 128 uh, signals to be carried in parallel over a fiber. Then there's a lot of um, innovation going into the coherent optics, and that's the laser technology that's used to encode and then transmit the information in the signal. Um, today, it enables much lower much um, larger amounts of in information to be transmitted in one single optical um, signal. There's uh, a couple of vendors today, including Infineta, that offer transponders that are capable of doing um, 800 gigabits per second transmission. Um, and this is, I mean, this capacity has been increasing because we're able to send um, symbols, um, information symbols at a faster rate, but um, we're also um, adding new modulation techniques, uh, probabilistic constellation shaping, Nyquist uh, subcarriers that enable us to send more information in each symbol. And at the same time, we're also advancing the digital signal processing, which means that we're able to compensate for the impairments that happen during transmission in a much better way. So today we can actually, um, our solution uh, allows transmission of 800 um, signals over an impressive reach close to a thousand kilometers. So um, we're coping with the bandwidth growth, but actually we're also coping with new uh, service requirements for 5G, for IoT. All these um, impose new challenges in the optical infrastructure as well. The, the, the devices today in an optical network are all remotely programmable. And this is really important, critical to cope with say, 5G slicing, dynamic behavior that um, all this implies. Um, and then the equipment, the, the optical equipment also has uh, more storage, more process capacity today, capability um, than, than ever before. So we can collect information on the status of the network along um, all passes and then stream it, stream enormous uh, uh, amounts of real life um, network information that can then be used for advanced analytics, uh, uh, AI, machine learning techniques, um, allowing for closed loop automation, even for failure prediction before um, services are impacted. So 
definitely there's been an impact and and we're um, taking all these challenges and finding solutions for them. Yeah, thank you for that. What felt like a, a crash course in optical networks. So the other thing I said we'd talk about is kind of the move towards a more open and disaggregated uh, network and how the telecom industry in general is becoming more open and disaggregated. So are you seeing a similar trend in optical networks? And if so, why? And what are the benefits, but also the challenges that openness would bring? Um, yes, we do. Uh, we do see a large interest uh, from network operators in adopting open optical networks, um, in particular in disaggregating the transponders from the line system. So, you know, so the endpoints uh, that transmit and receive the signal from the highway where the signal is, uh, through which the signal is, is transmitted. Um, so historically, the, the operators would buy both transponders and line system equipment from, from the same vendor, from one, um, one vendor. But actually, the life cycle of the transponders is much faster than that of the line system. And also, there's much more innovation on the transponders um, side with that coherent optics that I talked about before. Um, so if operators want to introduce innovation faster in the network, this is something that open um, uh, optical networking enables. It also unlocks access, of course, to differentiated products, much more choice, much more uh, uh, choice of technologies, um, and, and allows with all these for, for improved economics. So it makes them more competitive, um, able to offer um, differentiated and varied services. Um, we've... Actually, if we look at some recent surveys that we've conducted with um, analyst firms, we see that um, 70 or maybe even 80% of the operators are open to the idea of deploying 800G transponders from a vendor different than that of their incumbent line system. Uh, but the, the, the devices, the transponders and the line system, they actually work um, together seamlessly and, and from a physical uh, transmission point of view, um, most of the challenges have been overcome. Um, the, the biggest challenges happen in terms of operational complexity. Typically, devices from different vendors will have their own network management system. There will be proprietary interfaces between the hardware and the software that controls them. And if you just simply move to open without any other kind of support, you, you will be faced with a, a segmented view of the network, segmented by vendor in some sense. So, um, and there are a number of uh, standardization and industry initiatives driving for common data models for, for the same type of device uh, among all vendors, for common interfaces, so that the network can be operated um, as a whole in a vendor agnostic manner, let's say. Um, for example, there's um, in Open Road MSA, that's a, it's a great example. It details the physical device characteristics, but also details all the data models and the interfaces that all devices must comply to so that they can be managed by a common system. But Open Rodem is suited only to a segment of the metro networks, doesn't extend to long haul, to submarine networks. Then there's Open Config, and there's uh, lots of um, interworking 
uh, work being developed, for example, in, in the TIP um, groups and initiatives. Um, and although there's lots of progresses, today there's still some limitations, in particular if you're talking about also incorporating legacy networks, older equipment in this open environment. Um, so some use cases are still lacking some maturity, I would say. And, um, and, and we need intelligent software and automation to, to step in here and ease that um, operational complexity. And we are going to talk about those two things. But first, I want to point out that you said the phrase, most of the challenges have been overcome, specifically when you were talking about transponders and the line system. And I have to say, I very rarely hear people say that to me when I'm talking to them about most of the challenges have been overcome with anything related to networks. So so that's kind of nice. Um but like you said, uh, software and automation are important to addressing a lot of the challenges you did mention. And I know that's actually your focus. So we're going to talk about that a little bit. So you talked about the challenges. How does software and automation help reduce operational complexity, particularly in an open architecture like we're talking about? If you don't have any dedicated automation solution, that specifically addresses open networks. Someone who's operating that network will need to manually consolidate the information that they're getting from um, several, at least two network management systems, right? From the different vendors, typically one for the line system, maybe one or more for the transponders, depending how many um, uh, vendors they have in their network. So you need to, you need to make almost a, a mental picture of the network topology, the connectivity, the services reconcile the bits that you get from each system into a, an end-to-end -end, um, view. And then there's alarms. And, and, and if you need to troubleshoot, that's really messy because you, you do need to do some complex analysis how the alarming information in one system may be impacting the alarming information in the other system because this is all spread <laughs> somehow. Um, then for also, if you if you want to set up a new uh, wavelength, uh, one really critical thing is that you you set the correct transmit power in the transponder, and and um, this is really important because the right transmit power is the one that assures that uh, once the signal has gone through the fiber and the equipment that um, is um, in between the endpoints, it arrives at the far end with a power that is within the um, receiver acceptance window, let's say. So um, finding this right power requires detailed knowledge, both on the transponders and on the line system. You can have an, a, an optical expert um, computing this manually, but this is an error-prone process. So um, let's say that now you have a software application that consolidates management and control information of the all open network, offering end-to-end -end visualization, um, verifying connectivity between endpoints um, that offers automated service creation with automated power settings, um, correlates the alarms between the different systems. Um, of course, this means you'll have a much more um, simple, efficient, error-free way of operating your open optical network. Great. And now my last question, 
is very different, but I know that education is really important to you and that you believe that regardless of area of specialty, people should strive to have at least a minimal background of the scientific world around them. My question then is simple, sort of. It's just why? Well, um, thank you for asking. I'm, I'm really very passionate about science and tech communication, you know, educating, raising awareness, demystifying some of the um, ideas about math, about science, about technology. Um, and I think there's so much to be gained for the individuals, but also um, for our society. Um, well, to start with, let's say, if you have some basic no notions on, on science and technology, um, and if you have a scientific approach to problem solving, you're better, better at, at solving some day-to-day um, -day problems and challenges. If your internet is down and it's a simple problem and you have a notion on how internet works, maybe you're able to troubleshoot it even without being a real expert in the, man, in the, in the subject, right? But then there's all, also the fact that if you're able to interpret numbers, figures, statistics, um, in a piece of news, you're, you understand much better what's being said, and you develop also some critical thinking that will help you debunk and disregard misinformation. And, and at the end, I, I mean, I think overall you'll take better decisions, more informed decisions based on facts, based on evidence. So I think that, that we, people working in technology, almost have a responsibility to foster interest in science, in tech, because there's a lot of information available and reliable information in magazines, on the web, in YouTube, in podcasts like yours. Um, we, we just need to raise interest, raise awareness, awareness for that. Teresa, it's been great talking to you. So thank you so much. Thank you very much. Catherine, it's it's been very nice um, experience, and I'm I'm pleased to participate. Well, technically, is an art and media production. For advertising inquiries, contact Danny Miller at dmiller at artandmedia.com.